Good evening, Woodward. Um, we're ready for this month's session of Bragging on Jesus. I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer and introduce our topic. So um, let's bow together and pray, and then I'll let you know what our topic is for the evening. Father God, we love you so much, and we are thankful to be here tonight. Um, God, let us always get excited about any opportunity to brag on our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Um, he's done so many wonderful things. He's been so kind, so gracious. And we, sh we should just get um, excited and overjoyed at any opportunity to tell the world who he is and what he's done. So as we do that tonight, God, I pray that you would put your spirit in us. Um, give us the words to say and a message to bring. And um, let us share the good news of the gospel tonight. Um, as we do, God, I pray that you'd be at work, um, not only um, in the hearts and lives of people here, but God, also in the hearts and lives of people that are on Facebook that may be tuning in. Um, God, I pray that you would be glorified in all that's said and done here tonight, and you would use this as you will. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, the last couple times we've done uh, bragging on Jesus, we've had different topics. Um, so we've, we'd, uh, last time we did Christian hedonism, that was our topic. So this time, Robin told us we were going to be paralleling a book or a movie with a biblical truth. So that, that's what we're going to be doing. So we're going to be referencing movies and books and paralleling them with a the biblical truth. Or um, if you don't want to do that, you can just preach. So that's the other option. So we might have some of that as well. But Robin's going to come up here and get us started off. So Robin, come on up here. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Yeah, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, this is kind of a difficult deal for me a little bit. It's a little different format in putting things together, but I want to parallel a movie tonight called The Lost World, okay? Um, and, and what I want to parallel it with our, our life journey in Christ. It's a science fiction B-type movie. It, was, it came out in 1992, and the, the sequel came out in the same year, and it was uh, Return to the Lost World. So I'm going to try to combine those together. And, uh, and it's a story of a young archaeologist that's searching for truth and wonder. And as I tell the story, we'll look at some similarities that, uh, with our own journey as believers in Christ. And uh, they, they kind of uh, they stand out readily, I believe. And so, once upon a time, there was a young archaeologist who set out on an adventure expedition in Central Africa. And after many days on his journey, he met another adventure-type uh, seeker. And this man came into their, his, his campsite, and he, he was wounded. He was barely alive. His, his clothes were all rattled and torn. And he had been desperately trying to reach civilization from his journey so that he, before he died, so he could share uh, some amazing good news of what he had found and what he had seen with his own eyes. This man had been persecuted and injured by natives, and he was nearly dead. Before he died, he gave this, this archaeologist who had just set out on his journey, he gave this man uh, drawings that he had made of what he had seen. It was an amazing place full of dinosaurs, and prehistoric life of all kinds, along with a crude map that he had, he had drawn himself that, that showed the way to this, this hidden lost world. 
And uh, this lost world was, it was blocked off and surrounded by mountains that were really treacherous, but there was one way to it, and that was through a, a hidden cave. So the parallel that I'm beginning to see right now, I think you've probably seen some already, is uh, that there is a wondrous hidden kingdom unseen by the world that we know about. Jesus told, said in John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that, that's the invisible kingdom that we're paralleling today. And you know, I'm, I'm also reminded that um, the good news about Jesus doesn't really share itself. Just like this, this archaeologist, somebody had to tell him about the hidden kingdom. And that's the same way it is for us. Romans 10, 14, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So somebody has to tell about the kingdom. Okay. Well, as this uh, dying adventurer passed away, the archaeologists immediately set out to find this lost world. And finally, upon arriving, he was, his heart was thrilled and amazed, and uh, he was just astonished as a giant pterodactyl flew right above his head. His, his hair stood up. I, can, I feel mine standing up right now as I'm speaking. And he was full of joy that he had found this lost world. And the, the truth is that when we first see the glory of God in Jesus and how God is good, Jesus is good news, how he makes us right with God, it, it gives us joy too, doesn't it? And 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, and that, that was a re reference to creation, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's the new creation, right? So Jesus compares it to that, the Bible does. But it brings us great joy when we see the glory of God. And that's, that's what happened with this kingdom to this archaeologist, in a sense. He had just arrived and glimpsed the glory of that world. He'd seen light in what was lost and dark to the world. And now, this, this map that he had with him, he guarded it. I mean, he, he was smi there was a smile on his face, and he held that map close to his heart. It was like a, a treasure to him. And he had a, a helper with him, a guy that had carried some of his bags. He, he helped guide him a little bit of the way before he came to the map, and he saw him smiling. And he, he saw him holding that, that map close to his heart. And he, uh, he said, he's found a treasure. He's, he's got gold or something. And so in his greed, he took a gun and he shot the archaeologist in the leg. And he was wounded severely. And he would die if he didn't get back to civilization. So immediately, he went back to civilization. And the guy that shot him took his map and he just, I think he threw it away. It, it wasn't gold to him. It wasn't a treasure to him. So he returned home in order to save his life. And he lost his precious map, but that's okay because he was a happy man and the map was, was imprinted upon his, his heart. And take note that nobody can take away what Jesus has given you. Um, Romans 8.38 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us 
separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when the archaeologist returned home, um, he was so full of joy and happiness, and uh, he he shared with all his colleagues, the professors uh, at the university and all his friends, he said, man, I, I've seen this lost world. I've seen uh, wonders that no man has seen before. And guess what? All his friends laughed him to scorn. They, he was a laughing stock. He lost his job. Uh, I think the kids, when they walked by his house, would 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 make fun of him and call him names. And he he lost his respect in the community. He was ridiculed when he spoke of the glory of, that he had seen in the new kingdom. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So that was the first movie. And now... It- <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and so there was a sequel, as I say, in 1992, the same year, and uh, years had passed now, and the archaeologist was old. He, he had a limp that he had got from, from the, his trip to the kingdom, and it was still with him. And when he shared openly, and he, he had so much persecution, and he, he kept joy in his heart, but after a while... He became a recluse, and uh, he just stayed home. He didn't talk about the kingdom anymore. As for us as believers, this is a really cool verse, but when, when we withdraw into, into ourselves instead of sharing the best news about the kingdom of God, the Lord disciplines us. And uh, I've never had caught this before, but Hebrew 12.10 tells us why he disciplines us, one of the reasons he does. And here's what it says. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. God wants us to share his glory with other people, and it's for our good both. So, um, you, you know, that joy, he wants us to, to share with the same joy we had before. He may discipline us, or he may direct others into our life to spur us into his light. And and this archaeologist, he had, he had glimpsed the glory of God and... and uh, Think about this. He could have returned on his own to the kingdom. You know, he, he had a limp, but he could have made it there, uh, even though he was ridiculed. But the thing is, he, he hid himself away from people and didn't go back. Uh, and here now he was an old man until finally a newspaper man, a young man, came to his house and wanted to do a story about him. He had heard stories of this old man who the town said was crazy. And the, the old archaeologist was, was hesitant to share what he'd seen. But the reporter seemed, uh, he, he seemed persistent and genuinely interested in what the man had to say. And so the old archaeologist broke down and told him about the hidden kingdom he had seen. And his great joy began to return to his heart. And guess what? The young man believed. And... The young man and, and the old archaeologist got together and began to share it in town again. And they, had, they got a lot of other people interested in going back to, to this kingdom. And they, they made another, another trip. And with that old fire burning and the map 
was seared right in that old man's heart. So he knew where to go. And, and now this hidden wondrous kingdom was found for many people. They saw the glory with their own eyes. They took pictures and captured animals of all kinds, and they carried back artifacts to share with the world. And the moral of this story is, I, I think, it, from what we've been talking about as well as, as this, it, if you've ever seen the kingdom of God yourself and the glory of God and Jesus, if you've, been, if you've been saved, why would you want to wait till you die to go back and visit the kingdom? The Bible says to continually seek him. The Bible says, at, t- talks about how a deer pants at, after the water, so my heart pants after you, O God. And the Bible says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Don't, don't you want fullness of joy? Well, you know, we should go back to the kingdom and go back often. And if Jesus is beautiful to you, if he's good news to you, why don't you open your Bible every day? Why don't we do that? Why don't we meditate on God's word throughout the day? You see, as believers, we're able to live in the spiritual kingdom of God as well as the physical kingdom at the same time. Uh, Although many believers are like the old archaeologists and they don't go back. They don't go back. They visit it and they think, you know, I've got a ticket to heaven, but Jesus is not their treasure. So, so if you know Jesus, if you've seen how beautiful he is, go back often. And in closing, hey, take somebody with you. And, and, when, you, and when you go into the scriptures, bring back uh, treasures, artifacts, good news, truths that you can share with other people. Um, the irony is for me that uh, the real lost world is not the hidden kingdom of God, but it is uh, the place where broken lost sinners are a world of loss a lost world is is us it's where we live it's what we were before we came to christ so we're on a mission here and we're on a mission to to bring the good news of the kingdom of god to the world and share him and not to lose our joy along the way all right let's pray father god thank you for your word and uh thank you that we can we can uh we can see truth in, in life and, and see uh, to the pure, all things are pure, that we can, that we can see uh, parallels that can uh, teach us about you and parallels that go along with the Bible, Lord. And thank you for showing us, that, you know, Jesus and the greatest kingdom and, uh, and, and letting us be able to be born again so that, and believe so that we, we can see this kingdom through Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, yeah. Good job. Move this down to about my height. So, um, my name is Joe. I know I don't come here every time, and uh, I really, I don't feel like I come here very often, as a matter of fact. So, but anyways, so uh, if, if there's anybody out there that knows me, you guys know that I definitely like Marvel comics. And so, um, 
the movies that go along with those uh, probably would have to be, you know, uh, Iron Man would be my favorite area. And so that is what we're going to be talking about tonight. So um, without further ado, so we look at um, Tony Stark's life. We see that uh, he finds... Um, he figures he figures out a way to to get out of captivity through an armor suit, and so you know it's a little bit of an ingenious way. Of course, he is he is a genius. Uh, that was one of his uh, character traits. Um, his superpowers were really just intelligence and money. So uh, I would definitely not mind having his superpowers. You know, just saying. But anyways, uh, but we see he uses those um, to create. Um, weapons that will help defend earth now that being said when he created the first one it was just to protect himself and to get himself out of a situation um as he goes to gets back home and starts to realize that uh, the world is not exactly as it seems and his eyes have been open uh, to an evil that have, that has been there he just kind of been ignorant to it um and so that, that provokes him to, to go on and build um, the first actual Iron Man suit that, we, uh, that he uh, uses throughout most of his series, or at least builds other ones to kind of uh, mimic and, and look and be very similar to those other ones. Um, and it wasn't until really the Battle of New York that they go, that all the Avengers assemble, and um, he actually has to carry a missile out. Um, and, and destroys an alien fleet um, that he finally realizes that there's an even bigger evil out there than he knows exactly what to do with. And so um, he knows, he's not sure of what to do next, uh, but he, the one thing he is sure of is there's probably more um, where, they, where they came from. And so the one thing that he wants to do is to be prepared. We see that he knows that there's an evil out there. Um, he sees a need. He knows that eventually it's going to come back um, to earth to destroy everything that he loves and cares about. And so he wants to be prepared and ready. And so he lets this dictate the direction his life takes. So instead of be creating or being a weapons manufacturer, he becomes a person that creates things to defend Earth, to also um, protect uh, human civilization against itself from time to time. But the biggest thing that he prioritizes in is figuring out weapons that are going to that are going to protect the Earth. And so um, the passages of Scripture that I kind of want to um, parallel that too is um, <clears throat> if if we if we look at First um, uh, Peter chapter five verse eight, um, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. All right, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is is undergoing the same kind of suffering. All right, so we see that. Tony Stark, he, he, he sees that there's an evil out there. He has recognized that there's a problem. All right? He knows that there's something out there. He doesn't know when it'll come. He doesn't know what it'll be. 
But the only thing he really knows is that he wants to be prepared. And so, again, I go back and point back to Scripture. Um, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> we look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll be in verse 24. So do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one uh, gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes <clears throat> into strict training. They do not go... Sorry, I didn't bring my glasses tonight. All right, so <clears throat> they do not. That's all right. They do not go. They do not do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified uh, for the prize. We see that Tony Stark takes action. He trains. He starts to prepare things that are going to defend the, what he loves. All right. The biggest thing that we see that he loves is, is pepper pots, but he also has a love uh, for mankind, for the earth, um, and he doesn't want to see it um, in destruction. And so we see that um, as he prepares, he does everything in his power. All right. He, at time and time again, we see his suits fail. But then he builds a newer one, a bigger one, a stronger one, and he continues on until, we, until the one that we see, obviously, if you guys have ever watched any of the movies, uh, to his nanotechnology one where um, he actually uses it and is somewhat successful. But we see that he even fails in that situation. Um, we know that his life was spared, but here's the one thing that we can hold true to that situation. When he prepares... He's learned from his mistakes. He's taken those into account. He knows the blow that he just finished taking, and he's going to prevent that same thing from happening the next time. Now, he knows he may fail again, but it doesn't keep him down. He will get back up. In the same way, through walks in our lives, in our Christian lives, you know, with, 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 with Jesus... We're going to have times where we fail. There's going to be times where we may not want to get back up. Whether it's a struggle through depression or, or whether it's struggle through an addiction of some sort. We know that there's going to be times of failure, but that is not an excuse to not get back up and try. It's inevitable that we are not Jesus Christ. He is the only one that is perfect. Now, we should also strive to be like him and follow after him. But when we do fail, learn from it, get back up, and strive not to do it again. Again, like I said, I've paralleled that to Tony Stark's life. I've seen that through his life as he prepares. He fails, he prepares more. All right, he learns, and he goes on to the next battle. Because there is a prize that he is aiming for, and that is to protect the ones that he loves. All right, thank you, guys. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for allowing us just to come together. I pray, Lord, that as uh, 
uh, your word be spoken tonight, Lord. I pray that uh, we are able to articulate uh, your word, Lord, just in a way that's uh, going to be able to, to speak to the lives of those that are uh, lost and dying, Lord. I pray that uh, this is also an encouragement uh, to those that uh, know you, Lord, and, uh, and, and occasionally have a hard time here and there, Lord. I pray and thank you, Lord, just for the opportunity is to be able to come here um, and to uh, proclaim your name. Again, I thank you for all that you do in your most precious name. Amen. Right. I'm excited that I get to come tonight for the first time and brag on Jesus. Um, and so when Robin first told me uh, the topic and the, the theme of tonight um, to parallel a movie or a book, and I got all excited that maybe I could do Star Wars or, you know, the Karate Kid, uh, you know, one of those classics. And uh, for some reason, the Holy Spirit popped into my mind. E.B. White's classic novel, Charlotte's Web. Now, Charlotte's Web was published in 1952, and a lot of us older folks um, have probably read it in school. And, you know, I'm not sure if the younger folks uh, read that or if there's more interesting things for them to read these days. But it was one of my favorite books growing up. And um, for those of you who may not have read it for a while or, um, or have never read it, let me give you a little summary real quick. So Farmer Arable has a pig that has a litter of piglets, and one of the piglets is a runt. And his daughter, he explains to his daughter, Fern, that the runts usually don't make it, um, and they usually die. This was unacceptable to Fern, and she begged her father um, to let her keep and nurture the pig, the little runt piglet. And uh, for those of us who have kids, you know, it, the, the conversation probably sounded something like this. Dad, can I have a pig? No. Dad, can I have a pig? No. Dad, can I have a pig? No. Dad, can I have a pig? Fine. But if he poops on the carpet, you're grounded for the rest of your life, right? That's, that's kind of the way it is with us, with kids, right? So Fern, uh, Fern gets the piglet and nurtures the pig. And, grow, and in fact, it's no longer a runt. It becomes a big, fat pig. Um, and so... Um, the next challenge in life is finding out that um, Wilbur is uh, destined to be slaughtered. He's raised as a meat pig. So this is also unacceptable. Well, Wilbur makes friends with a spider who has a web in the doorway above his pen, and that spider's name is Charlotte. So Charlotte concocts a plan to save Wilbur's life. So she starts weaving words into her web. And it attracts attention. So she, she weaves the word some pig into the web. And, um, and, and so it tr attracts attention. So the farmer tells somebody else. And before long, it's a tourist attraction. People are coming by and seeing this pig that it has the web some pig. Well, after a while, people get bored of seeing some pig. And so Charlotte had to get another word. And so this continues. And they take the pig to the county fair. And... Um, uh, oh, over the course of this, you know, it, it, the pig is starting to have value other than as a slaughter pig. So they take the pig to the county fair, and um, Charlotte um, has to have the help of a rat named Templeton. And Templeton is a very self-serving, 
um, uh, uh, rat, um, and he will not do anything unless it benefits him in some kind of a way. And um, so there are always challenges in dealing with Templeton, but eventually um, Tim, she gets Templeton's help. He goes out and gets newspaper clippings, brings them back. Charlotte finds words such as terrific, radiant, and humble. And um, she puts them in the web, and, and uh, uh, Wilbur ends up winning. He didn't win first prize. He ended up winning some kind of a special uh, special prize, special pig prize or something like that, and, and it spared him from, from uh, being slaughtered. And um, as the time goes on, you know, at the end of the, uh, the fair, it's fall. That's when spiders typically die. Charlotte lays an egg sack, and she's developed such a bond with Wilbur that she entrusts Wilbur with her egg sack and to take the egg sack back to the farm so her babies can hatch on the farm and, and do what spiders do. So there are so many parallels to Scripture in this book that um, I'm just going to point out a few to you. I mean, just like that was one I didn't even think about the, when Charlotte entrusted the egg sack to, I mean, Jesus entrusts us with his word to go take that to all the nations, right? So that's a whole nother one. Uh, we, can, we can do that next time maybe. Point number one, Wilbur's a runt piglet. He's the most needy, and Fern cares for and nurtures him, okay? Um, Jesus had something to say about the most needy. He called them the least of these. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, through 40, the Bible says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So point number one is taking care of those in need. What are we doing each day to take care of those around us in need? Point number two, Wilbur's befriended by Charlotte, who concocts a plan to save Wilbur's life when Wilbur learns he's being raised for slaughter. Charlotte was very concerned for her friend. And in fact, as she's dying and she's weak, she's still working on her plan to save him. She's putting Wilbur above herself. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 read, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's exactly what Charlotte did in this story. She put Wilbur number one. And... Um, so that's a good lesson for us in our daily walks. Are we counting others more significant than ourselves? Sometimes we get lost in the things that we want to do, and there are people around us in need. Um, 
Point number three, signs and wonders. Charlotte weaves words into her web, such as some pig, terrific, radiant, humble. She does it to make Wilbur a tourist attraction, to make him worth more alive than dead, right? Our Lord and Savior did signs and wonders too. Now, I'm not going to quote each one of them from Scripture. If you want that, read the, the Gospel of Matthew. It's loaded. I love it. But I will tell you a few of them. He turned water into wine. He raised the dead. He healed the sick and the crippled. He gave sight to the blind. He fed thousands with a sack lunch. He turned ordinary men into evangelists. And he raised himself from the dead, giving glory to God and victory over death. Those are the signs and wonders that our father did for us. Um, something worth noting is uh, Templeton. I talked about him literally. His, Templeton's goal in life was to feed the flesh. I mean, quite literally. In the story, he ate so much food at the county fair that he, he, got in, he fell into a food-induced coma. Okay, so he quite literally was the, so again, there's, there's too many parallels here, scripture-wise to tell it, but Templeton is each one of us. We're fallen man. That, that's, that's our nature. Our nature is to satisfy ourselves and to feed ourselves and to feed our flesh. That's who we are. We all have a little bit of Templeton in us. Now, the, the goal is to get rid of the Templeton and get more of the Jesus. That's what we want to do. So, um, I'll reserve uh, more on Templeton for a uh, future a future <laughs> teaching um point number four love rules the story love rules the story in charlotte's web and love rules the story in the bible this is this is god's plan of redemption for us okay and it's 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 written in love charlotte gave herself to save wilbur and and she dies, but she allows Wilbur to take her egg sack back to the farm to look after it. Right? In John 15, verses 12 through 13, the Bible says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. What did he command us? It was right there in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. That's it. That's what we're supposed to do. And so in closing, at the end of the story, Charlotte's egg sack hatches, and there are 514 baby spiders that hatch. Wilbur's super sad because they all float away. They all go elsewhere to establish their lives. But three stayed. Out of 514, three stayed. Their names were Nellie, Joy, and Aranea, if I said that right. I kind of find that interesting um, that three remained because my last parallel is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So as I close, I want you to remember we need to take care of those in need. 
count others more significant than ourselves. Look for the signs and wonders from our Lord and Savior. And remember that love rules the story. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that your word is so powerful that it can be found, the truths of your word can be found in the works of man, knowingly or unknowingly. They're there for us to look for, and I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to glorify you tonight, to brag on you, and I pray that you will be with each and every one of us as we go about our ways this week, that you will help us to look for the needs of others and to count others more significant ourselves and to love like you loved us. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. All right, so um, I'm going to be in Second Peter chapter 3, if you want to turn there. Uh, but first, I'm going to start off with a Greek, Greek epic poem, all right? And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it would take like 12 hours. Um, I'm just going to summarize it. It's the, the story of Odysseus from the Odyssey. And so the Odyssey tells us the story of King Odysseus of Ithaca. Okay, and this picks up right after the Trojan War. So he left his kingdom and his son and his beautiful wife, and he goes to, to fight the Trojan War. And it is a long war. It takes 10 years, all right? So he's absent from home 10 years. Finally, they win, right? They get victory, and they go to sail home. He and his men get on the ship. Um, but trouble is brewing, and a, a storm blows them off course, and he goes on another 10-year-long journey trying to get home to his wife and his child and his kingdom. Um, some of the, the terrible things that he faces on the way home is a giant cyclops named Polythemus. All right, so he gets stuck in his cave and a lot of his men die there. Um, he faces a six-headed sea monster named Sicilla, a massive whirlpool, um, the deadly sirens. He shipwrecked several times and stranded on islands throughout his journey. Um, so he goes through a lot over the course of these 10 years, and all of these trials don't compare to what is going on at home, which is something he doesn't know about and can't do anything about. So while he's absent from home, um, some suitors come to pursue his wife. Like over 100 guys come, and really they have one plan. They want to take over his kingdom. And so while they're there, uh, they begin to mock Odysseus's wife and his son, calling them foolish for their faithful, faithfulness. So his wife keeps saying, I'm not going to marry. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for my husband to, husband to return. And um, they, they mock her and they laugh at the idea that he could still be alive after 20 years. So they say things like, surely he's been dead. All right, You haven't seen his face in over 20 years. Today will be no different. They keep saying that to her. He's not coming home. So for years and years and years, these men devour Odysseus's property. Um, they eat his food every day. They make his servants serve him. Um, they, they drink his wine. And they even put together a plan to murder his son so that one of them can be the heir. All this because they believe that Odysseus will never return. That's the attitude they have. He's not coming back. The king's gone and he'll never return. Well, much of these uh, wicked, or much to their surprise... Uh, the king does finally return after 20 long years, and uh, nobody's expecting it. But when he comes back, he brings justice, judgment, and his wrath with him. 
Everyone who is not faithful to Odysseus is dealt with immediately and fiercely. I'm going to spare you the details because they're very bloody, but if you're into action and, and gore, um, just go read the end of it. It's a, it's a crazy scene, and uh, Odysseus himself, he's a great warrior. He takes out all a hundred and some odd suitors himself. Um, and so, anyways, um, they, they, they pay for what they've done and their, their faithlessness. So uh, that, that's kind of the, the, the story, um, but what I want to look at today is a similar story, but a true story. Okay, because it's the story of Scripture. It's a story of a greater king, King Jesus, who has gone away for a while, but has promised to return home to his bride, the church, to set up a kingdom of peace. He will come at a time when people least expect it, and he will deal with those wicked men who reject his rule and his authority. His wrath is going to be poured out, and his kingdom will be established, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But until that day come, his bride, or comes, his bride awaits his return. And there are those like the wicked men in the story who try to steal her affection. There are those who, like the men in the story, devour and squander all that really belongs to the real true one King Jesus. And they all do this while mocking his return and his existence. Second Peter chapter 3 talks about these type of people. Look at verses 3 and 4. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. All right, so uh, it, in, in the last days, there are going to be people who have the same attitude as the wicked men in our story, right? They, they, they laugh at the idea that, that there is a real king, right? That he's really coming back. And that they're in real trouble if they're found opposing him. They, they mock that. Okay? They, they, they look at the bride of Christ, the church, and they say, you are a fool. 2,000 years, over 2,000 years since Jesus has been dead. Wouldn't he have already come back by now? Okay, well, why, is he, why is he tarrying? Why is he waiting so long? There is no king. And so they live their lives as if that's true. They, they follow their own lust and their own sinful desires because they want to be king just like the men in the story. But this attitude isn't anything new. Um, Scripture is really clear that it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. And that's what verses 5 through 7 say. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, through water, by the word of God. And that by means of this, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So it's talking about the flood. By the same uh, word, the heavens and the earth now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So in, in the book of Second uh, Peter, we see that uh, he, he points back to the flood and he says, people need to realize that this heart and this attitude isn't anything new. Just, just like in the days of Noah, right? Noah um, is a man who preaches righteousness. He's warning them of God's coming wrath. Um, he's building a giant boat in the middle of the desert, and people laugh, right? They, they mock him. They say, you're a fool. He warns of a global flood. They say, it hasn't rained in, in hundreds of years. You know, what are you talking about? And um, it, the, the Bible tells us that on the day when the floodwaters bursted open, they were marrying and eating and drinking. They were just living life like it was normal, right? Pursuing their own fleshly passions, and then judgment swept over them. And they, they all died in the worldwide flood. So judgment came. 
So 2 Peter 3, 7 says, this is going to happen again, right? Peter's saying, in the same way, we're, we're going to have the second round of judgment and people will be um, living their lives, chasing after dreams. People will be marrying and having babies and eating and drinking. And they, they will um, not understand that, that the wrath of God is about to come. Uh, but the second time, it's not going to be with water. It's going to be with fire, is what scripture says. So here's the questions we have, right? When will it come, right? When, when's this going to come? Or why hasn't Christ returned? Did, did he forget about his people, right? It, it has been 2,000 years. That's a very long time. So is, is he slow to keep his promises or his word? Peter knows we're going to say that. So he tells us verse 8 and 9. And this is what he says. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is his one day. And then listen to verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I, so I hope you hear, okay, because scripture is really clear, I hope you hear why God has not come back. Okay, because he loves and he cares for you, right? That's what it's saying, that, that the reason God hasn't returned, that he, the reason he hasn't brought wrath and set up his new forever kingdom is because he, he's still showing grace and patience and kindness to sinners like you and me. There, there's still people who are being saved and putting their faith in Christ every day. And so I, I hope that's you. Man, I, I hope while God is being patient, we know he hasn't come back yet. And, and while he has, there's still opportunity to trust in him. And, and that's my hope and prayer for you tonight. So um, let me pray for us, and then we'll wrap up. And I think that's, that's all of us for tonight. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your scripture. Um, I thank you for your kindness and patience towards me, God. I, I lived much, much of my life as a rebel against you, God. I'm not loving you, but loving myself and seeking things that would only glorify me. Um, God, but you were so gracious and you were so kind. It's, you were so patient with, with me just as, as you were with the, everyone else in this room and all of your people, God. You're, you're so kind to wait on us and so gracious as to stir our hearts up in real faith towards you. I pray that you would continue to do that, God. Until that day when you come back, you would still be opening the eyes of, of men's hearts to see who Jesus is, to savor and glory in him and love him more than anything else. And for those of us who already do believe, God, stir our affections up more towards you so that we might love you. And God, we thank you for scripture. We thank you that it is the greatest story ever told. And that is why we could talk about 10,000 different movies or books because everything that's good and glorious and wonderful um, is, is really a copycat of scripture. It points to a greater story and a greater truth. And that's the story of redemption, the story of the gospel. So thank you for your love and your kindness. We pray this in your name. Amen.